Welcome nerds, now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling Rockabilly Track Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV. Now sending transmission to the quantum realm. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we've got a review for Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and the most recent episode of The Last of Us. Plus, I'll be talking the PlayStation State of Play, and we're talking a little AEW Dynamite. And if today's episode isn't enough for you, don't forget you can get even more Amazing Nerd Show content on Patreon by subscribing to our $5 tier. Doing so, you'll gain access to our Best and Worst of the Week show. Though, if you'd like even more than that, additional bonus podcasts will be available for our $10 tier that includes all of the other tiers benefits as well. You can find our Patreon link in our show notes or simply type in patreon.com slash amazing nerd show. All right, before we move on, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review, and if you DM us a screenshot, we will not only read it on the show, but we'll send you some Amazing Nerd Show swag. Also, don't forget to follow us at Amazing Nerd Show. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. All right, up first, we've got a rumor that a bunch of sequels have been added to the upcoming MCU slate. Industry insider Casey Walsh took to Twitter this week with rumors of more Marvel projects being added to the production calendar. Said projects are to be uh, Doctor Strange 3, Eternals 2, and Shang-Chi 2. Uh, No official word has been put out by Marvel or Disney yet, but Eternals 2 and Shang-Chi 2 have been heavily rumored for months now and are most likely a sure thing. Uh, I feel like the most interesting thing that came out of this was, of course, uh, the inclusion of Doctor Strange 3, as we even brought it up last week that we weren't sure how they were going to, you know, tell the story of Stephen Strange and these incursions, especially after the events of the Multiverse of Madness. But along with these rumors also came an additional one from Film Odyssey, claiming that more variants of Kang would appear in Shang-Chi 2. Well, I definitely didn't see Kang being the main villain of the Shang-Chi film. Um, that's that's interesting. Uh, I'm wondering if, like, Kang is going to just be popping up, like, throughout the next couple phases until, you know, Kang Dynasty. It's a much different approach compared to what Marvel did with, you know, the Infinity Saga, where we just kind of saw Thanos, like, you know, in like the end credit scenes Mm. until Avengers Infinity War. Now, I unfortunately was not able to see Quantumania this weekend, uh, but I do like the idea of spending more time with our big bad. Yeah, just hopefully he doesn't get like too overexposed or they make like his variants feel like, you know, cannon fodder for our Avengers in the end. Well, and like different characters Mm. too. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways they can really build up the character and make him feel a threat like, you know, Thanos, you know, a threat like he is in the comics. Uh, So hopefully they're on the right track right now. Also, like you briefly mentioned, I'm happy that we're getting another Doctor Strange film. Um, I feel like it'll, you know, really give the multiverse storyline time to breathe. you know, because, I mean, the last time we saw him, he was running off to, you know, stop an incursion mm-hmm. from happening. It just felt if they were going to wait to, like, Secret Wars to tell that story, that that movie would be, like, too jam-packed. Or on the flip side, maybe, like, the film would not have as big of a scope as I personally want it to have. 
Um, like if that was the sole, you know, plot of Secret Wars, I feel like that would have been a little disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I feel like if for Secret Wars to work, it, it's got to have a bigger scope. Now, do I feel like it needs to be as big as what we got in Hickman's uh, Secret Wars? No, not necessarily. Like, you know, that that would have to be like a, a six film like epic. <laughs> um, but you could do a condensed version and have a big scope. Because, um, I mean, one of the biggest issues we had with Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness was the scope of the film. Mm. Like, we really only got to see, like, one, like, you know, alternate reality. And that was it. Um, where our expectations were, we were going to see, you know, all these different versions of the Marvel Universe and all these different variants of, you know, these beloved characters. Um, so, I don't know. It's either go big or go home. You know, like you don't tackle a story like Secret Wars unless you're willing to go mm-hmm. big with it. Now, as far as the next Doctor Strange film goes, I feel like uh, without saying anything about Ant-Man, I do feel like it will be uh, kind of the same plot device as Ant-Man was uh, for Quantumania. It's going to be our film that really gives everything, gives everyone an idea of where we're going. Yeah, like a true prologue. Yes. I mean, if this rumor is true, I'm curious to see like exactly where these films fit on the Marvel schedule. Um, You got to assume that Dr. Strange is going to be probably either before King Dynasty or Secret Wars. See, my assumption is that it would come out right after, you know, King Dynasty. Like, I feel like Dr. Strange is going to be out for that and maybe even show up at like the Ed Kreds be like, hey, this is what's going on. Gotcha. I mean, you could be right. Um, and there's a, like a year in between those two mm. films. So, I mean, they, and I don't think they have anything announced in between those two movies at this point. So, I mean, I could be wrong because that, that schedule shuffling all the time at this point. Well, up next, we've got some Wonder Man series news. The upcoming Wonder Man series for Disney Plus now has Stella Maggie on to direct a few episodes. Stella recently directed the Whitney Houston biopic, I Want to Dance with Somebody. Uh, She joins Daniel Destin Cretton from Shang-Chi in directing this series with Yaha Abdul-Mateen as our hero. But according to Daniel RPK, we might actually know who the villain will be as, as they claim Demetrius Gross of Rampage fame is being eyed to play Eric Williams, aka Grim Reaper, who is Wonder Man's brother in the God, it's such a convoluted (laughs) storyline. Let's see if they can pull it off. uh, As a kid, I loved Grim Reaper. He just looked awesome. Um, But like going back and reading that story. Jesus Christ, man. I don't want to get into it right now. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's 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 a weird story. The knockout side should be cool. (laughs) Sure. Um, Well, not to be a jerk. Because I don't know any of Stella Maggie's work whatsoever, but that Whitney Houston movie looked awful. Like, <laughs> yeah, it did not look. It, good. it looked like it was a, like a, a straight to like you know DVD film from the nineties mm-hmm. or something. I was like, did they give them a budget whatsoever? <laughs> and, and maybe she made lemonade out of piss. I don't know. But I mean, Jesus Christ. It looked like, and I'm going to date myself, it totally looked like one of those like ABC, like Sunday night movies, you know, from back in the day. Um, 
I mean, I just saw the the trailer. I was like, Whitney Houston definitely deserves better than this. <laughs> like, what, what are we what are we doing, people? But like I said, I mean, maybe it was a budget. Thing. Yeah, and you know, Disney has an unlimited budget, so hopefully, Wonder Man could be uh, uh, better. Knock on wood. Well, moving on to another Marvel story, uh, we've got some major Thunderbolts casting news. This one coming in from Deadline claims Steve Yoon is set for a major role in the upcoming Thunderbolts film and potentially more spots in the MCU afterwards. Yoon is now best known for his voice acting in Invincible and his time on The Walking Dead. Currently, I have no idea what role he could be taking up, but I've enjoyed most of what I've seen Yoon act in, so he is definitely a welcome addition to the MCU. I mean, I know, Christian, we like to keep things on brand, but he's also like an Oscar-nominated actor, too. <laughs> I was giving the listeners something that they would recognize, all right? Uh-huh. I'm sure they're educated, <laughs> but <laughs> come on. I'm sure they know his resume. Glenn's been doing some shit, Christian. <laughs> By the way, so with that being said, I have no idea who he could be playing. Um, and I think what's throwing me off is the word significant uh, to the MCU. Because um, I could see him playing anyone on the Thunderbolts team, but when you're saying someone who's going to be like significant to you know the future of the MCU, like that's a pretty big fucking yeah. role. Now we do know that the Sentry is rumored to be you know a part of the film. Could he be playing the Sentry? Um, you know, and I'm just throwing this out there, and this is once again probably wishful thinking on my part. But could he be like? the mcu's version of like norman osborne a character like that now there has been no hints or <laughs> breadcrumbs uh-huh. that norman osborne is possibly part of this story um other than you know in the comics you know he's a big part of secret invasion you know he does lead the thunderbolts at the time and then he does become like you know the leader of the dark avengers and basically takes over um you know the marvel universe for a short period of time and then that, that leads into like the dark rain storyline um but once again that's just a nerd dreaming out loud pretty much um because i do love that storyline um you know it just I, for me it elevated you know norman osborne to like lex luthor you know type levels um where i do believe he belongs as a villain so um but otherwise, I mean, there's been so many different characters part of this, like, you know, Thunderbolts mm-hmm. team in the comics that I have no clue where they could be possibly exactly. going. Exactly. Sky's the limit. And we heard rumors that, you know, Ryan Gosling and Alexander Skarsgård were also up for potentially being Sentry as well. So I don't know. Well, and Henry Cavill. And Henry Cavill, right? yeah. Yes. Which, I mean, just feels like the perfect uh-huh. fit. Like, going from being Superman to being like Marvel's evil version of Superman. <laughs> hey. And I guess I shouldn't say evil, just like fucked yes. up version of the Superman. <laughs> but I will say like the more like little rumors we hear as time passed, like the more excited I get for the film. Like I'm wondering if this is gonna be actually like the catalyst to like reform the Avengers at the end of the day. Because we do know that like Captain America New World Order is going to be kind of the lead in to this film and Bucky is going to be the leader of the Thunderbolts, so Sam has huge ties, you know, you know, two different characters in this film. So I'm wondering if like Sam puts together the Avengers to, you know, end up facing off against them or just realizes that, you know, we need the Avengers in the MCU. 
Or he just realizes that the MCU has like too much shit going on not to have an Avengers team, you know, operating. All right, up next, we've got a rumor for the upcoming animated series, X-Men 97. Casey Walsh was on a roll this week as they brought up a rumor of the X-Men 97 not only coming this fall, but potentially going on for four seasons. This story seemed to be backed up by voice actor Cal Dodd, who is best known for playing Wolverine, in which they stated uh, production for season two was already starting in a now deleted tweet. Well, I love this story. Um, when I read a comic book with Wolverine in it, it's his voice I hear. Mm -hmm. So I'm all for this. Uh, give, you know, X-Men 97 all the fucking seasons, goddammit. So I'm on board for this project. <laughs> you know, just as long as the first season's good. Yeah, I'm all for it, you know. Well, yes, Christian. Yes, make it good. <laughs> but if they're following the formula of the original as closely as it seems they are and bringing back like all the, you know, people behind the scenes with that show and all the, you know, voice actors, I don't see how it could miss. And I'm totally jinxing it, but whatever. <laughs> I'll eat my words. All right, well, moving on, we've got an update on Venom 3. Tom Hardy this week posted some old test footage from the first Venom, an announcement post for pre-production of what should now be the third installment into this franchise. Kelly Marcel, who wrote and produced the first two films, is still on to write and direct this one as well. So can someone do me a favor and call Tom Hardy and tell him no one wants this? I, I don't. I was a little confused by his post as well, because at the end he put hashtag by Tom, hashtag thanks Tom, and that's his own account too. So I was, <laughs> I, don't, I don't get Whatever. it. Whatever. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I don't want this Christian. I mean, after No Way Home, where we saw him like leave part of the symbiote, like, you know, at the bar or whatever. Like, just let Kevin Foggy do his thing and just let him take over the story. <laughs> and let's get, like, Venom in the MCU proper. Because for me, like, Venom doesn't work without, like, his origin doesn't work without Peter Parker being involved. And that story means a lot to, like, Peter Parker as a character also. The whole, like, you know, Venom saga and the Black mm -hmm. Suit saga. Um, and it, it just, it works perfectly right now for the point that Peter is in his life right now. Like he's at this like all time low after just losing, you know, Aunt May and his friends basically, um, you know, since he chose to have them not remember him. Um, you know, so he's alone, he's angry. What a perfect time to like introduce, you know, the symbiote and, you know, have that story play out just this time the right way in the MCU. But instead, we're just going to get some really bad like CGI fights and some really cheesy fucking odd couple comedy, you know, between, you know, Venom and Tom Hardy. I, I just... I don't want to see it, man. I don't even want to see a fucking trailer. But Damon, now they're really trying to build a universe here for all their Spider-Man projects that they've got coming. But Christian, but Christian, fuck their universe. <laughs> I didn't see the second film and I'm not going to see this oh, one. Oh, you haven't even I seen mean, the I, second one. I had no, no, fuck no. After after your review and like the rest of the world's review, no, I'm not gonna see that. I mean, the trailers look miserable. <laughs> see, now I need a Damon review for the Patreon. All right, 
Ugh. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> People want to pay, fine. But, I mean, all I needed was Woody Harrelson and that stupid wig at the end of fucking, you know, the first event. I was like, no. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> all right, last but not least, uh, we got some news from everyone's favorite galaxy far, far away uh, with an Ahsoka series update. Looks like we have a better picture now of the release window for Ahsoka as the live action star herself, Rosario Dawson, while being interviewed on Today with Hada and Jenna, claimed the series would debut this fall. Of course, there's no official word from Disney right now, but I'm sure they're more focused on just the upcoming release of Mando next week, and we'll get more news as we reach into spring. Yeah, I could see that being announced at like this year's celebration, yeah. right? Like May the 4th or something, uh, yeah. I mean, schedule-wise, it, it probably makes sense, especially since we know that we're supposed to be getting another series from them this year with uh, Skeleton Crew. The folks over at Lucas, it, it seems like they like to space things out a little more than Marvel mm. does, right? I'm also hoping that we get, you know, some more of uh, Tales of the Jedi, um, you know, because they did kind of just, like, drop that on us last year. <laughs> I mean, it's just wishful thinking on my part, but I love that series so much, I, I just want more. And now for the nerds review of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Warning heavy spoilers for characters and plot details ahead. And now, our feature presentation. You're an interesting man, Scott Lang. You're an Avenger. You have a daughter, but you've lost a lot of time, like me. We can help each other with that. Yeah! Who are you? I'm the man who can give you the one thing you want. What's that? Time. Scott and the gang explore the quantum realm where they interact with strange creatures and embark on an adventure that goes beyond the limits of what they thought was possible. Quantumania was directed by Peyton Reed and stars Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, and Catherine Newton. Heading into the next big phase of the MCU, we start off with Ant-Man and the Wasp giving us our first look at the next Avengers level threat in King in all of his conquering glory. And while this film did a decent job of establishing exactly where the MCU is heading and why Kang's a big deal for the story, everything that had to do with Ant-Man and his family suffered greatly by poor comedic choices that seemed to be put over developing meaningful story for our heroes. The film kicks off with Scott concerned for his activist daughter who has again gotten herself arrested for, you know, using PIM particles to shrink a cop car at a rally. Um, from here, we get to know Cassie a little bit better as we find out she has been studying with Hank on all things quantum, which Janet has been avoiding communicating with her family about entirely. So when Janet actually finds out that they've you know been working on communicating and sending a signal down to the quantum realm, she just snaps and breaks their device. Unfortunately, it seems someone was receiving their signals and using them to get information on their realm. So once the device was shut down, a rift appeared and sucks the whole family into the quantum realm. From there, we're introduced to the unknown universe below as Hope and her parents get separated from Cassie and Scott. Instead of playing more into their familial tensions here between the estranged family members, we instead meet up with the quantum people who are starting a 
a resistance movement against Kang. Um, while the overall design for the Quantum Realm and its people and its tech was, you know, discernible from, you know, what we've seen from like projects like the Guardians, which was one of my major concerns. I was like, oh man, what if they just make this look too much like everything else? The Quantum Realm should feel pretty different on its own. I felt like they at least established that this, you know, world, especially with their way that everything's kind of gooey and like almost bug-like, I felt like was a great choice, but the people themselves just didn't really have much to do in this film. You know, they seem to only be a plot device for Kang to use as cannon fodder later in the film. Even the leaders of the Resistance have brief moments that do nothing to really further the story in any meaningful capacity, even though I get the sense that they were supposed to be a bigger driving force for Cassie, who at her core is looking out for marginalized people. Our other group, being Hope, Hank, and Janet, goes searching for Scott and Cassie, and for some reason, even though they have been thrown into the Quantum Realm and are in you know, serious peril, Janet is continuing to stay silent about her ties to Kang and what's going on here. This was a pretty frustrating story beat for me as it was super drawn out and took up a majority of the second act, where I would have probably liked to have spent a little bit more time with Scott and Cassie, who I felt could have been you know more of the focus in this altogether. When we finally learn what happened, it seems that Janet discovered a displaced Kang in the Quantum Realm and for the first time had a true companion. And mission as she you know helped him recharge the power source to his multiversal spaceship in hopes to get home herself but when they finally get the ship charged up janet sees who kang really is because the ship links her to his mind now knowing that kang is a destructive conqueror she takes the power source and uses pim particles to make it too large for him to use these scenes were some of the best moments in the film as jonathan majors excels at being this character that believes in his own just cause in a similar way to how Thanos was believing he was doing what's right for the universe. But Kang in the end does get a little bit of his powers back, and while he can't escape the Quantum Realm without the actual power source to his ship, he decides to conquer what he can in his nearby area. Janet feels personally responsible for the Quantum Realm's new ruler and attempts to lead resistances against him, only to get many people killed. And when she was saved from the realm, she left every ally she had behind, as we learn from Bill Murray's character who went from you know being a freedom fighter to now being one of Kang's servants. You know, overall, I wasn't unhappy with Janet's story. It's just more that I felt like it could have been shorter altogether and given a little bit more time for our lead hero to build this relationship with his daughter on screen. You know, and this film is also called Ant-Man and the Wasp and Hope's character throughout all of this, along with Hank, is really a reactionary background character to Janet's storyline, which I felt like was just kind of a disservice to her character at this point. But anyway, Kang needing uh, pin particles to shrink down his power orb sends Modoc to capture Scott and Cassie. Uh, Modoc was my least favorite part of the entire film. I knew he'd be played for laps, in, especially in an Ant-Man film, but he felt just entirely pointless to everything here. Um, they bring up his connection to Cassie as when he was still Darren slash, you know, Yellow Jacket. He nearly killed her in the first film and they attempt to build in a moment for Cassie and Modoc in the final act, but it simply did not land with me at all. And the fact that he gets this kind of mini redemption arc felt super rushed and had me just groaning in the theater. Um, Scott and Cassie, of course, get captured by Kang and unfortunately it's super cut and 
dry compared to what we saw with him and Janet. I really thought Kang was going to play with Scott's wishes to go back and be the father Cassie never had, but instead he simply threatens to kill Cassie unless he helps out. So of course Scott does. Both parties reunite and shrink the power source down to size and with very minimal effort Kang gets the power source back before they can really even fight back against him. Um, which you know leads to our third act where Kang and his army of blue-faced droids I couldn't really tell if they were actually people or not but either way he plans on taking all of them and teleporting this all out of the quantum realm so he can begin conquering once again and because he didn't you know hold up his end of the bargain by freeing Cassie immediately Scott and company gather their forces and make for a final stand as as of course the power source can't immediately teleport Kang away in act three it felt like Cassie was supposed to have kind of this big hero moment as she sends out a rallying cry across the quantum realm after escaping her cell but at this point you know we really just hadn't spent enough time with her or you know this or the resistance fighters that she's talking to you know to really make this moment worthwhile and it just felt weird to me altogether um, but this gets every resistance fire to come to scott's aid as he goes giant and you know and the fight really ensues Cassie beats Modok and gives him this kind of ultimatum of just not being a dick, which changes his whole life right there and then. And, you know, she goes giant herself for the first time and together Scott and his daughter are able to break Kang's teleporter, but not his power source, um, which then we watch Kang slaughter a whole bunch of resistance fighters before going toe to toe with, uh, you know, Hope, Scott and Cassie. Kang has the upper hand, but then Modok and a sea of super intelligent ants that I forgot to mention earlier all just end up attacking Kang and ended up, you know, defeating him and somehow also breaking, you know, his ability to use his like power gauntlets or whatever he's using. While that fight's all happening, Janna is able to get the power source going so that they can make a portal to go home. But of course, as they're all going through it, Kang shows up and this starts a fight between Scott and Kang as they go fist to fist in a scene that really screams Scott was about to die. It was the first time in the film where I thought, you know, someone was actually in danger here. Kang nearly gets through the portal, but Hope fires through, closing it and stopping Kang. Together, Scott and Hope use their pin particle discs to make Kang disappear, and they claim that he's dead in this scene, but this is a comic book film, and he didn't get his head cleaved off, so I'm under the impression he's still gonna be around in some form or fashion. Also, somehow Cassie is able to create a portal out of nowhere to get Scott and Hope out, which was just not explained at all how she was able to figure that one out. And I guess it wasn't explained at the beginning, you know, why there was a portal that sucked them in either, but it is what it is i'm assuming it was something with modok uh you know he said that he was getting the signal but I, it seems like if they have a way of making these portals why don't they just make one go i i don't i don't know I, I'm, I'm leaving that one up to the world, whatever, fuck it. Um, there's some good moments in this film, some funny moments in this film, but it just felt like this could have been so much more. Like the story between Scott and his daughter just feels like it writes itself. They dabble with the fact that he has been, you know, absent from her and he's guilty about that, but it's not there enough 
nor is the bonding enough for me to feel like the end was justified. I feel like Catherine Newton, you know, did a fine job in the role, but I really wish there had been more for Cassie and Scott overall. King shines just like he did in Loki, just because Jonathan Majors is so good in the role. You know, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with, you know, when we meet more of his variants in the future. But I gotta say, even he didn't have enough time in this film. It just gets to the point where it felt like, you know, even with two hours, the movie just may have been off more than it could chew, which has been the kind of the story as of late for a lot of Marvel projects. Now, we have seen that Marvel's has been pushed back for visual effects, which is good because this film was a clear example of visual effects artists, you know, being fatigued. There's some cool stuff in this world, but the CGI was not consistent all the way through. At the end of the day, this movie was pretty lackluster and just did not meet the bar that the MCU has already placed for itself. So with that said, I'm gonna be giving Ant-Man the Wasp, Quantumania, a solid C. And I'm starting to think that's me being kind. And now for the nerds review of episode six of The Last of Us. Spoilers ahead. I made this decision for your own good. You'll be way better off with Tommy. He knows the area better than I do. Do you give a shit about me or not? Of course I do. Then what are you so afraid of? I'm not her, you know. Maria told me about Sarah and... No. Don't say another word. So I thought this episode was an absolute acting clinic put on by Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey. Um, uh, I, we have this like three month time jump. Uh, Joel and Ellie's relationship, of course, seemingly has continued to grow and develop. And you could just you could really feel it, too, um, which I loved, like especially like that moment where like Ellie's asking about what Joel wants for himself once all this is over you can tell like she's hoping like she's included somehow in his plans mm -hmm. i mean i love that like heartwarming moment we get with like joel um reuniting with tommy uh his brother uh after so long uh and his brother is just like living his best like dystopian uh -huh. life <laughs> <laughs> with a wife and baby on the way uh, you know just like living this well-run commune uh you know he definitely doesn't need saving whatsoever but at, like after a short period of time you could just feel the tension between the two brothers as we get a glimpse of their dynamic now um joel is the protector and had to do some dark fucked up shit to make sure that they could both survive and i don't know it felt to me that tommy kind of resents him for it especially knowing he probably has plenty of blood on his hands uh being along for that ride but then pedro pascal rolls up his sleeves and delivers i believe his best scene of the entire series so far uh you know where he breaks down to tommy and pours his heart out um you know talking about how he's living in constant fear uh which was something we actually kind of like speculated on last uh episode um because he, he doesn't want to fail another person um but at this point like he doesn't believe he can physically and mentally protect ellie i mean he's lost so much in his life and in this moment he just feels so like vulnerable um 
and like earlier on in the episode, we we see this fear like manifest itself physically with multiple panic attacks of sorts. Um, I mean, it was just such a powerful performance. Uh, Pedro does such an amazing job of conveying the emotional weight and baggage that Joel is carrying and just like how broken he really is. I mean, like I said, I mean, he's lost almost everything that he cares about and he blames himself. Um, and now he has Ellie and they're growing closer. So, of course, naturally, he's terrified that all that's going to happen again. Uh, soon after this, because, you know, sh Ellie was eavesdropping, uh, we have Ellie's response uh, to this plan that Joel has come up with to, like, pass her off to Tommy. Uh, and she's not having any of it as she lashes out and, you know, also, like, pours out her heart. You know, even bringing up Joel's daughter, who she just found out about. Um, you know, she could give a shit if Joel's brother is a better choice to get her where she needs to go. Because she won't feel safe unless she's with Joel. And even though later on, like, I knew he was going to end up being there, I absolutely popped seeing Joel in the stables waiting. And I thought it even made the end cliffhanger even more poignant knowing how Ellie feels about Joel and seeing that she could possibly be losing him. And I mean, as great as those bigger moments were in the episode, I think what really caught my eye the most was, you know, Bella Ramsey's little reactions throughout everything. You know, from the moment, you know, she sees Joel run up to Tommy and you can see her in the background feeling dejected because she never seen that type of emotional response from him. Yes. Um, that little glimmer of hope she still seemed to have till Tommy walks through the door, you know, thinking that maybe Joel will change his mind last second there. Oh, all those little moments really were great. Um, at, at the same time, I think what this series is, again, just continuing to do well is, you know, being able to know where things are going to go into the second season. Um, this episode was able to lay down a ton of groundwork uh, because like in the game, they did the first game they didn't know about Jackson that that doesn't become a thing until the second one so uh, the fact that they were even able to go there in this series and start to lay those little things for Ellie there that we'll definitely know more of later in the second game um, it, it was very cool to see that kind of start to play out and also they did a ton with you know telling you know how Ellie gets all of her skills here in this episode. You know, she's constantly absorbing everything that Joel is giving her and she's constantly reciting it back to us and it kind of uh, makes it understandable how she becomes the badass that she is in the second um, season that we'll probably see. And it's also a great way for them to bond, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah, just great performances driven completely through. It's what you need when you're not getting those, you know, constant action sequences that you would have been you know, expecting. Because, I mean, like that college segment in the game, that while there isn't a ton of zombies or clickers, I should say, there, you know, there's still some moments where you're going to have to stealth around and fight some people before you leave. And it's a, it's a much longer experience because of that. And this episode was totally, like, clicker-free. Like, yeah, we exactly. didn't have any fungus zombies or clickers, you know, to deal with whatsoever. So... Um, and honestly, like, I didn't think about it until, like, this very moment. So, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just how entrenched I am into, like, the human drama of it all, um, which says a lot because I would definitely notice an episode of The Walking Dead if it didn't have any fucking zombies in it. Yeah. 
All right, so quick question when it comes to the video game and how it's correlating with this season um, and try to go as spoiler free as possible. Um, the three month time jump, is that something that happens in the video game? Is there more story that takes place in those three months? Like, do we miss anything? I mean, you're skipping a lot of traveling, but you're not really missing too much. I mean, you, what you're, what you're going to miss is just them running into more people on the road, more enemies, essentially. You're just missing a little bit more travel. There are, like, there have been time jumps in both games or where okay. they're like small little periods when they need to get from one big section to the next. Like that whole, like what we got a couple episodes ago where they crossed the highways and stuff and they're driving for a long time that's just a quick montage and then we're into the next level but we didn't lose anything of significance no. story-wise no, no you you were getting to the point where we were meeting up with tommy and that's the next big you know significant point in the game got you got you yeah i was curious about that because i i believe we only have three episodes left and it seems like next episode is going to be like all flashback i mean at least judging from the trailer so do you think they have enough time to get to where they need to go story-wise with this season? I think at the current way that they're pacing things out, I think it's possible. I feel like they'll just, you know, again, it's just skipping a lot of the traveling and then you get to the more heavy story beats, which is what they're going to have to do for a series. Um, this next yeah. episode is definitely, you know, diverting from the game a little bit because it's going to be doing the DLC story that we got um, after the game even came out. So, I mean, it's okay. a whole separate thing where you get to see more of Ellie's past. But it is something that you did get to experience in the yes. game eventually. Okay. Yeah, if you paid for it. <laughs> yeah, I was just wondering about that because we did hear, right, like this first season is supposed to represent the first game, right? That came out. Yes. The one thing I will say that kind of like soothes any concerns I have you know, over the episode count or, you know, the amount of story we have left is, is that they seem to be willing to give each one of these episodes the amount of time that they need to, like, tell the story that they want to tell. Mm -hmm. Because we've had run times from, like, an hour to, like, an hour and a half. Like, I mean, we're talking, like, feature film length at this point. So I got to believe that's going to be the same with the last three episodes. But with that said, join us next week as we review episode seven of The Last of Us. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Hey you, got bush? Well, you definitely do if you haven't tried the best products from our sponsor today, Manscaped. Taking control of your bush is important. These products are so good, you're going to be showing pride in your new bush-free yard. It's a fact that you'll have the best-kept nutsack on the cul-de-sac, so save big and be the most hygienic version of yourself by using our discount code 20NERDSHOW for 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Listeners, you know I don't got bush because Manscaped helps keep my rocket raccoon high oh, and tight. Yeah. Whether you're looking to go bald like an eagle or just in need of a safe trim, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. Listeners, the grooming package I highly recommend is the Performance Package 4.0. That's because inside the package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is a bush's worst nightmare. This trimmer is designed to reduce grooming accidents and shave hair on loose skin thanks to its ceramic blades and advanced skin safe technology. 
No need for night vision goggles, this trimmer has a LED light to allow you to mow the lawn in the dark. It's basic landscaping. When you trim the hedges, the tree stands taller. The second best tool in the performance package is the Weed Whacker. This fine-tuned nose and ear hair trimmer will make sure your nasty nose pubes are under control. Instantly add some pep to your step with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Spray-On Testy Toner. With a performance package purchase, you get two free gifts, a shed travel bag and the pattern high performance reduced chafing manscaped boxers. They have a bunch of other products on their website to help you maximize your confidence and grooming game. So listeners get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. Kate Bush may be trending at the moment, but your bush needs some help. That's right, so make sure you're running up that hill and get 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com by using our code 20NerdShow. It's time to level up your grooming game with the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This week in gaming, we had Sony's State of Play for February, which has been getting some mixed reactions, you know, mostly due to the heavy focus on VR experiences that were shown off this time around. And while I am not, you know, a VR player just yet, I do understand they probably have a quota to fill with their VR games, you know, since they built their own headset, for God's sakes. Either way, there were still a couple updates from other games that we've been watching out for, so let's talk about those real fast. Um, the biggest being Suicide Squad killed the Justice League, which showed off a heavy bit of gameplay. Uh, my impressions of it was it reminded me a lot of Gotham Knights, but with a bit more fluidity and polish. Though the amount of time our main characters spent flying around shooting guns was a tad bit surprising, as I felt like, you know, they all kind of played very similarly with just some special moves to make them stand out on their own. I did see some of that classic Arkham style combat in there, but I just don't know. I don't really feel like I was all that blown away by the gameplay. Um, we also got further confirmation of their live service elements and the fact that we will need a dedicated online connection to even play single player. A loot system will allow for further customization of Task Force X with you know armor boosts to upgrade power Powers. And they showed off their battle pass that will allow for more varieties to costumes with a promise of this being purely cosmetic, though we've seen games change this many times over at this point. Um, there's also been word that there will be DLC featuring different characters for the Suicide Squad to play as. But hey, look, I know that sounds kind of negative. Um, you know, a lot of people have been harping on the you know service part of this game quite a bit, but I still have a lot of faith in Rocksteady to put out a great game, especially one that exists within the Arkhamverse. So a part of me is still holding out hope that the marketing for this game has just been kind of meh, but I won't lie and say that my expectations haven't lowered just a bit, especially after this press conference. This game comes out May 26th. Um, as far as Street Fighter goes, I'm going to be very short about this because, you know, I don't have too much to say about Street Fighter, but I still am pretty impressed by the visuals. You know, there's such fluid animations in the fights right now um, that it's just got me itching to try this out. It's been a long time since I've actually been tempted to pick up, you know, the sticks and play Street Fighter. But this installment might be the one to actually get me back in. I'm definitely more of a Tekken and Mortal Kombat guy, but this just looks fantastic. But hey, let us know if you're planning on being a Kami main after that trailer, because, you know, I already know you're going to be. But <laughs> this one is slated for June 6th. 
Resident Evil 4 had some announcements as they gave us a new story trailer showing off some of the bigger story beats from the classic. Nothing gets me more excited for this game than seeing Leon perfect parry enemies. It makes me smile so much that I can parry in this motherfucking game. Uh, the game continues to look like a pitch perfect remake as the last few remakes have been. And it seems like they just keep you know improving on the mechanics for, you know for each game. You know they're not just you know making each one play exactly like their previous um, remakes. Each time they're really looking at the, how the game used to be played and finding ways to really upgrade the entire experience. I've just been super impressed with everything that they have to offer. Mercenaries mode was confirmed to be included, which is a very fun way to keep playing the game after you finish the campaign. If you haven't tried out Resident Evil Village's um, version of Mercenaries mode, I highly recommend it. It's super addicting. Along with that, they also said that um, there would be a demo of the game coming soon. I'm going to guess it will be you know another time demo, just like what we got with Village. So we will definitely stream that when we learn of the actual date for it. Um, for now, Resident Evil 4 Remake comes out soon on March 24th. Outside of Sony's state of play, we learned that Mortal Kombat 12 could be coming this year as during an earnings call for Warner Bros. Discovery, executive Andrew Slavin stated amongst their other anticipated titles like Suicide Squad, Mortal Kombat 12 is set to come out this year. Now, the fact that we haven't even gotten even a little bit of a teaser for this game and the fact that Ed Boon has been very, you know, quiet about what he's working on next makes me wonder how accurate a 2023 release date could be. But perhaps there's going to be some news slated for the usual summertime roundup of games we get during E3 season. Uh, most news outlets are just running with this being confirmed to come out this year, but nearly every AAA title has been delayed over the last three years. So I'm not going to hold my breath. Uh, but I'm happy to know that this is most likely on its way. I don't usually stream, you know, fighting games because I'm terrible at them. But if you'd like me to test my might with any of the big three games coming out, that's Tekken, fucking Street Fighter, and now Mortal Kombat, let us know on social media. You, you can check out at Amazing Nerd Live for all of the Twitch updates. Speaking of updates, I'm going to probably spend Saturday making sure my stream setup is all working properly before we go live on Sunday instead of going live tomorrow on Saturday. Mostly just because I've had to recently completely reinstall Windows for my computer and I forgot how many things I set up previously to make sure that everything ran you know, perfectly. So it's definitely gonna be some trial and error here. But I mean, if there is any other technical problems I run into that you know causes me not to be able to stream on Sunday, just make sure to check out at Amazing Nerd Live where I will post an update to tell you exactly what's going on. Uh, you might see, so you might get a notification by accident as well that I'm doing a test stream uh, on Saturday. So it, it is what it is, but we should hopefully be back in the world of Horizon on Sunday. And I hope to see you guys on Twitch. Make sure to um, check it out right now. You can catch our um, previous playthroughs that are still up in VOD form. Uh, but with that said, let's move on to wrestling. I hate you because you have had more concussions and more head trauma than anyone in the history of this business. You suffered concussion after concussion until you were on the floor, foam streaming down your face, having seizures. And you're still in my sport? Every time you step foot in that ring, you're saying wrestling is more important than your family and your children. 
Every time you step foot in that ring, you're spinning in my face because you are taking everything I would kill for for granted. All right, so this week, Christian, we're going to do a bit of an abbreviated version of our typical AEW Dynamite recap, uh, partially because we've both had technical issues this you know past week, uh, so we're starting this show really late. Uh, but also, uh, you didn't actually get to catch Dynamite this week. Yeah, I had to fix my computer so we could do this show, yeah. <laughs> so I just didn't have time. Which I agree is more important, so <laughs> so I'm going to go solo here. Uh, you'll just, you know, give me the card, and I'll try to run through it as fast as possible with my thoughts. <laughs> All right, well, with that said, then, we started off with Orange Cassidy defeating the Ring of Honor pure champion, Wheeler Yuta. So this was all set up on Rampage uh, with a quick interaction between Wheeler and Orange backstage. Wheeler was, for some reason, once again, stalking the interview area, uh, just waiting to go completely Karen on someone. Uh, and he found Orange. Uh, luckily, they did have, you know, some, you know, history between the two. So it made sense this time around <laughs> instead of Wheeler just like yelling at people to get off his lawn. Uh -huh. um, I gotta say, like, I thought the interaction on Rampage was, you know, pretty intriguing, and the match paid off in spades. This was one of my favorite matches of the year so far. Uh, these guys had great chemistry in the ring together, and they told an amazing story. Uh, I'm hoping that this actually gets Wheeler back on track, because, you know, he's been kind of forgotten about recently. I mean, last year he had one of my favorite storylines, but then it just kind of like disappeared once like ROH got into the picture. Um, you know, I mean, he, him and Moxley was one of my favorite matches last year. And as of right now, like if I was going to do an end of the year list, Orange and Wheeler would be on that list. But I mean, it's February. So um, I just thought this was a great story. I mean, we saw like you know, just some pent up frustration with orange and some leftover resent, you know, between the two, um, with, you know, them not really getting closure with the relationship and everything. Um, they really didn't do that angle just, and they kind of just moved out really quickly originally. So I'm glad that, you know, we got that kind of closure here. Um, although I could see this lead to more, um, but, I mean, we had the match start. They had a great, like, uh, pinning sequence back and forth, them just countering each other. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Claudio came out and smacked the shit out of Wheeler for being too cute in the ring. <laughs> and then Wheeler just, like, went full, like, Blackpool Combat Club on Orange and jumped back in the ring and started fucking clawing and biting his face. It was really, like, an awesome, like, transformation. Um, and then the rest of the match was just this back-and-forth battle between the two guys. Um, and they just left everything out there. I mean, Orange Cassidy is one of the best wrestlers in the world, and he does not get enough credit. Um, week after week, you know, he puts on some of the best matches in AEW. Um, and I, I think it's, you know, due to the gimmick that, you know, people refuse to give his 
give him his just due um, because, my God, like, he's one of the most entertaining things that AEW has going. And, like, I really love what he's done with, you know, the All-Atlantic title. Um, the belt feels like it matters because he's defending it, like, you know, pretty much every, you know, Dynamite or every Rampage. But at the end, we saw Orange go over. Um, but Wheeler didn't go quietly. He took, like, multiple orange punches. He took multiple, like, uh, I think he took multiple, uh, beach breaks. Uh, so it was a hard-fought match. Orange offered Wheeler a hug at the end of the match. <laughs> uh, but Claudio came out and he nixed that right in the ass and, you know, ordered Wheeler out of the ring. Uh, so we'll see if this story, like, goes anywhere, um, or if that's, you know, it for now. I will say overall, this is probably one of the better openers we've got in a while, you know, on Dynamite, um, especially after last week's opener. Um, and overall, too, like this was just a much better Dynamite and got me a lot more excited for the pay-per-view than last week's episode did. But, you know, I mean, last week's episode wasn't the disaster that a lot of people are making it out to be, but it was definitely, I don't know, lackluster, if you will. After this, we had a backstage moment between Hangman Adam Page and Evil Uno. Yeah, I mean, we basically got the motives for, you know, Evil Uno wanting to face John Moxley and telling Hangman to stay in the back. Um, you know, he doesn't want him out there bell to bell, which completely foreshadows that, you know, after the bell ring, please come and save me. And then Ricky Starks made his way to the ring. Yes, so they decided to go completely like Looney Tunes with this angle. Um, okay. I don't think it worked. Basically, Starks pulled the Jedi mind trick and uh, got Jericho to agree to a match at the pay-per-view by telling Jericho he didn't want to face him anymore and wanted to move on, which was hilarious because when he did say he was going to move on, the crowd popped huge. <laughs> so apparently everyone's done with this storyline at this point. As they should be. I'm hoping this is, you know, over at the pay-per-view, but I obviously have my doubts for, you know, good reason. Um, and I don't think the segment worked at all. So uh, that's all I'll say. There was then a pre-recorded thing for the Battle Royal. Yes, yes. Where we kind of heard from all the teams. I actually enjoyed this a lot. And I hope they do this next week for the uh, Casino Battle Royal. I like to actually see more of this where, you know, they at least give the teams like a couple seconds to kind of like state their case for winning mm -hmm. the match. And I thought it did a really good job of just like hyping you up for what you're about to see instead of like going into it like completely cold. Was it all just done in one segment or was it spread out throughout the show? No, no, just one segment. Hmm. It was like spliced together, like quick edits. We're just hearing from different teams. So it was different, but I thought it was good. Uh, after that, we had the acclaimed defeating Lee Moriarty and Big Bill. Well, losing the titles has definitely not hurt the acclaim whatsoever. They're incredibly over. Um, this was a really good crowd, too. I will say that. Uh, I think this was the first time they were in Arizona. Um, and the crowd was just popping for everything. Um, like throughout the entire night. So I, I think that really helped to enhance the show where last week's audience was kind of like sitting on its hands. Uh, and rightfully so, it wasn't a great show. So i like to quickly mention that I love Moriarty's theme music. Um, I think it's one of the best themes in AEW right now. Okay. 
And after this podcast, I'm going to download it. So thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> as for the match itself, I mean, it was kind of a standard affair, but I mean, the claim made it fun. Um, the story they were kind of telling was that the guns were using the farm to kind of do their dirty work. Um, sure. Okay. Uh, I'm still not invested in the guns as champions whatsoever. Uh, and I'm absolutely hoping they lose the belts at the pay-per-view. <laughs> so I just don't feel like they're believable. You know, and, and I mean, that's not their fault necessarily. I feel like that's really just, you know, the fault of booking. You know, if you really would have built them up besides just kind of like a fluke win over the, you know, FTR, um, you know, maybe I'd be singing a different tune, but I don't know. After this, uh, Tony Schiavone was supposed to. Schiavone. Schiavone was supposed to interview uh, Christian Cage. Yes, and he was met with a spear from Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy then went to go and uh, concerto him, but then gave it a second thought, which allowed Christian to crotch him uh, and get the upper hand and leave uh, Jungle Boy bleeding on the ramp. Can't be fucking hesitating with Christian. <laughs> yeah, and he <laughs> wasn't bleeding from the crotch, by the way. Was, oh, okay. You know, obviously, just uh, stuck. <laughs> I mean, he does wear tight shorts. I wouldn't know, but no, he was in street clothes this okay. time. But yeah, no, yeah, it was bleeding from the head, <laughs> not the crotch. <laughs> uh, after this, we had a video package with Wardlow and Samoa Joe. Yeah, eh, it's basically a recap. Joe addressed Wardlow's story last week and said, "Yeah, I cut your fucking hair, and yeah, it was because you know it meant something to you. What are you gonna do about it?" I have the same problem with this that I had last week, where I, I just feel like you need to see Wardlow in action. You know, like, I, I don't know, like, Wardlow shows up, and it seems like he works, like, once a month or something. Um, you know, he shows up, and then he's gone for three weeks. It's like, you're not doing enough to build up this match. You know, and I don't know if it's a case of, like, scheduling. I know Joe has a lot of different, like, outside projects, but that doesn't mean Wardlow can't be out there and, like, just destroying people in the ring you know mm. and calling out joe like you could still hype up the match you know from just wardlow's side um if that's the case and i'm totally speculating because otherwise i don't understand why you wouldn't have like at least like an in-ring promo from one of these guys i just feel like you know with every week that passes that we don't have you know wardlow on AEW dynamite he loses more and more momentum so i don't know after this, we had Soraya with Tony Storm defeating Sky Blue. Um, so the match wasn't very good. Um, I do, f I do feel like Soraya is getting more comfortable in the ring at least. Um, okay. I did like her aggression during the match. Um, but yeah, this didn't really do much for the build to the pay per view. Um, after this match, um, Soraya continued to beat on uh, Sky Blue, which caused uh, Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter to come out uh, to make the save. Um, and then when Soraya and Tony Storm made their way up the ramp, and that's when we had Ruby Soho come out and make the belt motion, uh, basically challenging uh, Jamie Hader for the belt. Um, and Jamie Hader then later on backstage uh, decided to challenge both Soraya and Ruby at the pay-per-view, making it a triple threat. 
Um, and hopefully we get some progression in the storyline because, I don't know, it's kind of treading water right now. Which sucks because, like, when this thing first started, like, we were totally hyped about it. And mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It really just feels, like, undercooked. Um, it's like, okay, what else are you going to do? Like, what, what else are you going to show me? Like, I'd rather have them just running roughshod over the women's division and attacking people in a convincing manner instead of, like, spray-painting L's on people and, and then, like, dancing around with, like, finger L's on their forehead like they're, like, 13-year-olds or something. Mm-hmm. All right, that was followed up by Brian Danielson making his way out to the ring. Yeah, he basically cut an impassioned promo on why he hated um, MJF and kind of went down the laundry list of everything MJF has done to him so far, which brought out MJF, of course, who had to one up Brian's hatred by delivering the newest chapter in MJF's villainous story, which included a real life event uh, in MJF's life, which a lot of his stories seem to include. Uh, which is a nice touch. I appreciate that. Uh, but I guess recently his engagement was broken off. Uh, so he, you know, used that as why he hates Brian so much. Uh, Brian has everything that he wanted. He thought he found like the perfect woman, a woman that he could settle down with um, and, you know, actually like make a home and have children with something he didn't think was possible for, you know, a vile human being like himself. But because, you know, he's such an awful human, he eventually pushed her away. Um, When MJF delivered these lines and I'm, you know, paraphrasing, the crowd started to chant, you deserve it. Jesus. <laughs> it was a really good promo. Um, you know, if you don't, if you go back and watch anything from the show, definitely check out this promo and that opening match. Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> so, but then MJF goes on to talk about how Brian takes what he has in life for granted with his family. And evidence of this is the fact that Brian is out there still wrestling um, you know, even though he's had, you know, tons of concussions and health issues, uh, which tells, you know, MJF that Brian loves wrestling more than his family. He then turns the camera and starts to address Brian's children by name, which Brian cuts him off and says, don't you dare, you know, I'll I'll beat your ass. Um, but then he allows MJF to cut the promo, which I thought was a little weird. Uh, but was that was pretty much the only thing that was off with the segment, because after that, they had a really convincing pull apart where we saw both guys really go at it. Um, you know, we had the security run outs. Uh, it ended with <laughs> um, uh, Brian like blindsiding MJF on the outside of the ring after he was able to get around all the security. And like it looked like he knocked him the fuck out. Um, so I'm wondering if that's going to play into the storyline. Since MJF, like, brought up, like, you know, Brian's concussions, like, yeah. could possibly, you know, MJF be concussed now. Um, but I could be reading way too deep into that moment. But, yeah, he goes down hard. Um, so it was it was a good segment, and I thought it did a great job of really, like, hyping up, you know, their pay-per-view match. So, um, and MJF, once again, killed it with just an out-of-left-field promo that I didn't see coming. A lot of the issues I've had with the build for this match has kind of centered around MGF 
end some of his promos because I just felt like he's been like trying too hard to get booed. Um, where before it just kind of organically happened because he's such a bastard. But like you know, like the the weird car story with like it was like this adds nothing to the storyline. This this is you know about your past and you're giving us another example of why you're such a bastard. But like, what the fuck does this have to do with anything? Um, where this was more organic and it made sense. Um, I mean, it does feel weird that like this promo is coming so late into the game. Um, but if it's something that just recently happened, I guess it is what it is. I mean, it sucks that it's it's based off of something real, but I thought it really added an extra layer to their storyline that was needed. Uh, after that, we had the Tag Team Battle Royal, where Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal are now headed to Revolution. No comment. <laughs> Nothing at all, David? <sighs> Listen, I, like, I feel like I'm a Jeff Jarrett apologist <laughs> most most of the time. And I, I generally enjoy Jarrett. Uh-huh. Um, I do feel like he's featured too much, but... He doesn't belong in this pay-per-view match. I would have much rather see like a younger team like Top Flight or just a, a team that's deserving like, you know, Butcher and the Blade. You know, you get this opportunity at the pay-per-view to really like build up the tag division. Um, but instead we're getting Jarrett and, you know, Lethal again. And I don't, I don't know, like... I feel like they're bordering on like, you know, turn the channel heat at this point. So, um, I don't know. I'm guessing too, with the way the match went and the match was kind of like nothing happening. They're getting way too cute with all the outside interference during like these like battle Royals too. And this is a WWE problem also, but like with just the amount of like third parties on the outside of the ring, you know, helping, the teams out like by catching them or you know, they like, did that like, more than like once oh multiple times wow. you know with sodom in i think dan Housen, or no it was orange cassidy who <laughs> helped out the best friends like it was like okay this is overkill guys um but yeah no uh the way the match ended makes me believe that the best friends are going to end up winning the casino battle royal especially since they have like an ongoing feud with jared and lethal mm -hmm. so that way you've got like the two storylines going on you know in the match um you know with uh the guns and the acclaimed and then like jared and lethal versus like the best friends so you could kind of like kill two birds with one stone. Um, now, obviously, I'm hoping that FTR actually like makes a surprise entrance in this battle royal, you know, next week and, you know, wins the thing so we could see them at the pay-per-view. But I don't feel like that's actually going to happen. We then got a video package from the House of Black. Yep, we did. Um, they just addressed the elites and basically said that they were going to confront them on Rampage. And I mean, spoilers doesn't seem like that actually happened so oh, okay. yeah so i'm like what you've got like one week before the fucking show at this point <laughs> before the pay-per-view what are, what are we doing here can we at least have some kind of like interaction between these two teams i mean last week we did the whole like lights on lights off you know bit um with you know the, the house of black you know showing up on the ramp mm -hmm. and it sounds like we pretty much got the same bit this week um 
which to me is not an actual like confrontation. So I don't know. Before the main event, there was Tony Khan's special announcement. Yep, there's going to be a reality show. And this oh, okay. kind of went over like a fart in church. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, I will say they had a great rating this week, and I hope it's not all due to this announcement because that means a whole lot of people tuned in to be disappointed. Um, it's going to be called AEW All Access, and it's going to be following some talents uh, behind the scenes, like, you know, telling their stories. I guess the Young Bucks, Eddie Kingston, which could actually be interesting, uh, Britt and Adam Cole are all part of this show. It sounds like this is like kind of like a make-do for the Lost of uh, Roads to the Top, mm-hmm. um, since obviously that show had to come to like an abrupt end. Although I will say uh, the head of, you know, Warner Brothers Discovery uh, had some really kind words for AEW this week and like was like touting them pretty big uh, with this announcement and the ratings, which has to be a good thing if you're AEW knowing that you're in, you know, a contract year, basically. I mean, it's definitely better than all the doom and gloom a lot of people have been having with, you know, people thinking that AEW could even get canceled, which is absolutely ridiculous. And it's not grounded in any kind of reality whatsoever. Um, it feels like some wishful thinking on some trolls parts, honestly. Um, you know, I, it's a lot of people like comparing AEW to WWE, which is just apples and oranges, mm-hmm. honestly, at this point. I mean, they're, I mean, WWE has been existing for decades right now. Of course they have a bigger fan base, but like, AEW can be successful while WWE is also being successful. Like two things can be true at once, you know? Um, Yes, AEW is not as successful as WWE, but WWE is the established brand leader and has had a huge head start on AEW. So I just don't understand. Like if you're a wrestling fan, you shouldn't have any ill will towards AEW. You should want to see AEW succeed for the wrestler's sake because it gives them more opportunities to make a living. Um, you know, it's okay if you don't enjoy the product. Just don't watch it, you know? <laughs> like, but like to want to see less jobs out there and less, you know, once again, opportunities for wrestlers to make money and, you know, make a living doing what they love is just ludicrous to me. And it tells me you're not a real wrestling fan. I think AEW is going to be fine. I don't know if they'll get as big of a TV deal as they want, but they're definitely not in danger of, you know, getting canceled. All right. Well, last but not least, we had John Moxley defeating Evil Uno in the main event. I thought this was fun. Um... A complete bloodbath, which we were expecting. It wasn't as one-sided as I thought it was going to be up to a certain point. Um, But, like, it was an entertaining match. uh, And we got to see a different side of Evil Uno. Like, you know, he didn't, like, you know, he didn't wear his clown shoes this week, if you Mm. will. (laughs) It wasn't all about the ha-ha this week. It was more about, you know, standing up for himself and, you know, standing up for his friend and, like, you know, actually having a motive to beat John Moxley and he came out aggressive and, you know, I think it really in the long run will help the dark order and, you know, evil Uno as a character. Um, they need to 
do something with this, though. I want to see some kind of follow-up. I mean, like, we need to kind of move on from the Dark Order being Adam Page's, like, sidekicks at this point. I feel like that story's over with. Um, Moxley left Udo a, a bloody fucking mess in the ring. Uh, what hell of a blade job. Like, I don't think it was a hard way. Um at the end of the match, um, Uno was, you know, obviously busted open, but I didn't realize like how bad it was until Moxley started to really squeeze on that bulldog choke of his and like the blood just started pouring out of Uno's mask. Like <laughs> it was pretty fucking horrendous, uh, but I loved every second of it. So um, you know, uh Moxley refused to let the hold go after the bell rang. Which, of course, brought out the Dark Order, which, of course, brought out the Blackpool Combat Club, which, of course, then brought out Adam Page. And that's kind of how the show ended. Overall, I thought it did the job that it needed to do, which was, you know, built to the pay-per-view match, um, which, of course, is a Texas death match. So I'm sure that's also going to be a bloodbath, uh, which I'm all here for. Yeah, I'm going to make sure to watch this week's episode uh, this weekend. So I'm all caught up. Because uh, I don't want to miss anything out. I don't want to miss out on any of this before Revolution, you know? No, yeah, at least, like I said, watch that opening match and watch mm-hmm. the MJF promo. Um, and, you know, and, and check out the, you know, main event. And just like that, you know, we're all sudden at the go-home show for Revolution. So make sure to join us next week as, you know, we make our predictions for the pay-per-view. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts hoodies stickers and more and if you post what you bought and tag us on social media we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the united states all right make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling my name's christian and my name's david and that was the amazing nerd show